0: evening. We're in Joshua chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can download our app, and there is a a Bible available, English Standard Version, and it actually should be set to Joshua chapter 3, so you can do that. Just a reminder that we have our Christmas Eve services next week. I can't believe it, man. I Totally was miscalculating uh, last week. I'm like, all right, you know, we've got a couple of weeks. And then, you know, laying there in bed, I'm like, you do not have a couple of weeks, dude. You've got 10 days. What are you, what are you talking about? Where'd you go to school? <laughs> Bad math. And so uh, we do, we're really excited. Don't forget, we have a Christmas Eve Eve service. That's Friday night. And then we have three services on Saturday, which is Christmas Eve day. And then we also have a home at home, at home online Christmas service that you can uh, check out at our homepage. So there you have it, Joshua chapter three, and we're not meeting next Thursday night because of all of that stuff, all right? So we pause for a week on Thursday nights, and then we'll catch up the following week. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, so much for this book, and it is exciting, it's amazing, it's Um, So applicable to us, even though it was written so long ago, God, your word speaks today. There's just no doubt about it. And so we want to be in a place today where our ears are hearing, where our eyes are seeing, God, where our hearts are open to have you plant the seed of your word within it that it might bear fruit and... Father, we know tonight your Holy Spirit is going is to disperse the seed of your word. And so we pray tonight that we would leave with something solid and concrete that we could apply to our lives as we grow near to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, the moment had come and we talked a little bit about this over the last couple of weeks, how really this is a crescendo, it's an apex, it's a huge moment for the children of Israel, because they've waited, they've waited a long time to enter into the promised land. Do you know how long they waited? Well, they waited for 40 years, and there's a, there was a reason behind their waiting. It certainly was not um, a God-induced waiting. It was self-inflicted, um, but you can imagine as they now have come up to the threshold of the land, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And their hearts are beating, their minds are racing, the people are praying, they're really excited. Um, but before they can go into the land, they have to go through the river. And no one's laid this out yet. It's not as if, uh, and you know, there is this big obstacle before them, just like God always seems to do, He turns the obstacle into an opportunity. The obstacle becomes evidence of his presence in their lives, Um, but of course, you know, they didn't have the book of Joshua to read to know how it was going to be that God would work these things out. And so truly, they're learning to walk by faith, which was, I believe, uh, what God had intended for the people at this time. And so here they are. They've come up, like I said, to the precipice, the, the boundary of the promised land, and they're waiting for further instructions. And so the Bible says, in verse one of chapter three, then Joshua rose early in the morning. By the way, let me just say, uh, good things happen when you rise early in the morning and seek the Lord, all right? Uh, Do we have any people here who are not morning people? Raise your hand. I'll just say, when you make the sacrifice to rise early and seek the Lord, there's a greater reward in heaven for you, So make sure you do it. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, you'll notice that three days is a really significant uh, number of days in the scriptures, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, and this was what they said. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about 3,000 feet or half a mile. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. So you, you remember with me, uh, Joshua was... Joshua was the servant of Moses. You know, when you think about Joshua and the way Joshua led, of course, Joshua was his, he was his own man, right? He was his own leader. God never intended for Joshua to be just like Moses because there was only one Moses uh, and there was only one Joshua. And let me just say, there's only one you, right? There's only one you. God's not intended for you to be a, a carbon copy of somebody else. I think, you know, sometimes, at least in the ministry, there can be this temptation when you see somebody that is powerfully used by God, and this happens uh, pretty regularly, there's a temptation, you know, to want to emulate, to want to be just like somebody. And, and don't get me wrong, we should always be learning from leaders that we respect, um, but we should never be in a place where we feel the pressure to be just like them because that is a pressure certainly that God has not placed on any of us. Nevertheless, Joshua had learned from Moses, and I think one thing that he learned from Moses was to delegate. You know, Moses wasn't always a good delegator. Uh, in fact, he had, he had early on he had hit a wall, uh, and he think about this. There's there's most likely you know early on, right after the. Um, crossing of the Israelites through the Red Sea, there was this tendency Moses had to take on all the responsibilities himself. And so the Bible actually says that he would judge every single matter that every single person in uh, the whole uh, community of Israelites brought to him. And his father-in-law was like, by the way, you know, I mean, you may not like to take the the advice of your in-laws um, this was what, one of those instances where it was good advice. His father-in-law, Jethro, said, hey, hey, Mo, what are you doing? Probably not a wise thing to do. You're not going to survive under all of this pressure. I mean, what man can? And then he instructed Moses on how to set leaders over a um, certain number of peoples in uh, the various tribes. And so it is evident to me that Joshua learned that he was not really responsible for handling everything. He didn't have to be a control. Yeah, he didn't have to be. We have any control freaks here tonight. Don't raise your hand. Um, but you know, he didn't have to be a control freak. He he learned to delegate. He he learned to give responsibilities to other people. Um, and I want to encourage you with that as well tonight. You know, God doesn't want you just to carry the load or carry the burden yourself. Good leaders always raise up other leaders. And well, these leaders, well, they had the authority to speak. And speak they did. They instructed. The children of Israel. Here comes the instruction. They weren't necessarily sure how it was going to be that they were going to get to the other side of the Jordan River, and you know the details are laid out. And the details go something like this. He, they said, "As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, because you remember with me, there was there was a prescribed way to carry the Ark of the Covenant." Some of you tonight might be thinking, well, what in the world is the Ark of the Covenant? And you're just thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark right now. I'll explain it to you in just a minute. Um, But but they said the moment that you see, the moment that you see the Ark moving, what you're going to do is you're going to get up out of your place and you're going to follow the Ark. But you're not going to follow it too closely. There needs to be a space between you and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, it is interesting that... In the next two chapters, chapter three and chapter four, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, that phrase or um, other ways to describe the Ark appear about 16 times. So really, it's a major player in these two chapters and there's a reason for that. Remember the Ark of the Covenant, at least on the earth, was the throne of God. Um, It represented the place where the presence of God dwelt. Uh, You remember the tabernacle and and the opportunities that Moses had to go into the holy of holies and then behind the veil into the most holy place, Moses would go and he would make an offering for himself and for for the people, at least the high priest Aaron did that. But when Moses was in that place, because it was the place that the glory of God dwelt, remember when he would come out, there was that shining on his face. Uh, Some call it the Shekinah glory. Because he had been dwelling in the presence of God, so when you, if you were an Israelite, when you were thinking of the Ark of the Covenant, immediately what you thought of was the presence of God, and the presence of God dwelt there on the mercy seat, which was right between two cherub, uh, cherubim plural, whose wings were outstretched and touched at the mercy seat, and that was the place where the blood would have been sprinkled for the atoning of the sin of the children of Israel. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, do you remember what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, We had the the copy of the Ten Commandments. We had a jar uh, of manna, and then we had Aaron's, Aaron's staff that blossomed. So essentially what the... What the leaders are saying is, hey, when you see the presence of God, go after it. Go after it. You, you number one, are in a land you've never been in before, um, and you're going to be taking a route that you've never taken before, so you need to be led by God. Always remember your place. Your place is not to lead God. Your place is to follow God. And then in addition to that, you need to do so wholeheartedly. Right? This isn't just a, a mindless or a heartless action of the people. They were, they were called by God to follow with all of their heart. Um, and then I would say another principle for sure that God was teaching them was, was this. Wherever God is on the move, make sure you're there. Right? Wherever God is on the move, make sure you're there. Um, I want to encourage us. You know, these are three principles that are, that are easily applied in our life today. Uh, Because, you know, we're not following the Ark of the Covenant, we're following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He is God incarnate, and we are connected to the Father through faith in the Son, and we need to be led by God, right? Wherever God is calling us to go, we need to make sure that we are following Him, that we're not leading the charge on our own, asking God to get in line with us. Can I make a confession here tonight? Early on in my Christian life, man, that was the way I kind of handled God. You know, and there were circumstances that had to happen in my life where God woke me up to the reality that, that I was really asking him to come along for the ride. And I remember distinctly him convicting me one night of this and, and the voice of the Lord spoke to me in my heart saying, Derek, did I call you to lead me or did I call you to follow me and that man that was and you know it wasn't as if all the things that I was doing were bad it was ministry right it was getting after the gospel it was preaching on campus and I had all these ideas but I placed my ideas in front of God before seeking him and sitting at his feet and asking him to sort through The ideas that were on my heart. We need to be led by God. We need to be led by God with our whole heart. And listen, we need to recognize where God is moving, and we need to get in line. You know, I think that this is a a great principle for experiencing God. Just sit back and make the evaluation. Hey, where is God moving? And that's the place where I want to be. Um, Andy Bala is here tonight, and he'll hate me for saying this or pointing him out, but you know, Andy leads our veterans' ministry, and God is doing an amazing work in the veterans' ministry. Maybe you have a heart to minister to to veterans. You know, it's, it's good just to stand back for a second and to survey the ministry and say, God, where are you moving and how are you tugging my heart? Uh, And there are so many opportunities for you to plug into. I would encourage you to do that. 3,000 feet behind the Ark of the Covenant, of course, to acknowledge the sacredness of the presence of God. Um, But in a way, also, it's almost like, hey, God is saying, give me some space. Give me some space. You say, well, space for what? Aren't we supposed to be just as tight as we can be with God? And the answer to that is yes, but we need to give God space to do things the way that he wants to. I think sometimes, you know, we can, for those of you who are control freaks, you know, we can crowd in on God, we can try to manage God, we can try to shape what it is that God wants to do, we can create a little box of, of you know, our, our own making with our own desires and, you know, our own, we can sometimes foist on God our own expectations and, you know, we... We demand God to do it our way. We wouldn't say it like this, but sometimes the way we live, you know, is, hey, God, my way or the highway. And you don't always see that until there's disappointment in your life, until something, you know, goes sideways or something isn't working out the way that you expected or that you prayed for in that moment. In that moment, how do you respond? Do you get mad? Do you throw a a temper tantrum? Do you take your toys and leave the playground? You know, do you say to God, hey, you know what, you, you had your chance and, and I was gonna serve you, but if this is the way that it's gonna be, then, you know, I'm, I'm out. Um, I, think, I think disappointment sometimes really is less of a revelation about God and more revelation about our own hearts. Because for the child of God, you know, there's never disappointment, there's only divine appointment. Right? I mean, if, if we're really pursuing God and seeking Him and giving Him space to, to shape and do things the way that He wants to, for instance, awaken events. You know, we had plans, we had expectations, we had desires, we'd lined it up, we had contracts, everything was set. And God stripped it all away and brought us to a place where it was sincerely, God, you know what? It's yours. It's gonna stand or fall based on your will alone. And so, Father, may your will be done. It is the best place to live your life. Well, the Bible goes on to say in verse five, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord, Yahweh, will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant And went before the people so you know as you read these verses what you'll notice is uh the leaders speak to the people then joshua speaks to the people and then we're going to just see in a minute that god is going to speak to joshua but the leaders had given some very practical um, instruction and direction joshua now comes along and he spiritually prepares the people and he initiates the levitical priesthood to uh, begin to take steps. He prepares the people spiritually by saying, consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself because God is on the move. It's interesting to me, you know, think about this. They're going into the promised land. The promised land is filled with adversaries. There's going to be war, but Joshua doesn't say sharpen your swords. He says sharpen your hearts. He doesn't say sharpen your swords. He says sharpen your hearts. God is about to do Something great, and so consecrate yourself. Now, you know, if we go back to the last time the children of Israel consecrated themselves, um, you know, it meant then that they would have taken a ritual bath, a mikvah bath, and that represented the 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 cleansing of their bodies physically, but but the deeper meaning of that was the cleansing of their hearts before God, the repentance of sin. Um, They would have put on a new set of clothes, and that represented a desire to walk in righteousness and holiness and to be clean morally, in a sense, before God. But all of it really did reflect uh, the cleansing of the heart, all of the outward things they would have done. And we're not necessarily sure if they did those things in this case, because you know they were on the move. But there was for sure the exhortation for them to clean their hearts up, to prepare their hearts so that, uh, and listen, absolutely what God is saying here is this. It's a holy moment, right? It's a holy moment. And my expectation for my people is that they walk in holiness. This was one of the things that was embossed on the, the gear that the high priest wore the phrase, holiness unto the Lord. And so, of course, God is saying, anywhere my presence is, it's holy ground, and so consecrate your hearts. But I think also Joshua is saying, hey, prepare your hearts to take in all that God is gonna do. And you'll notice that connection. He says, consecrate yourself because because God is about to do something great. Prepare your heart so you're, you're able to take it in. Listen, prepare your heart so you don't miss it. Prepare your heart so you're at a place where you're spiritually connected with God so that you can see and so that you can hear and so that your heart is tender and that that all the great things that God is going to do, that they don't just pass you by. I think that this is so good for us to consider because you know, God is always on the move. God's always on the move. God's always doing something. God's always, God is always working. You know, we sing the song Waymaker and and in that refrain, and I know that, or whatever, chorus or verse or, you know, whatever it is, somebody here that knows that stuff could say it out loud. But you know, we sing that. And I think we sing it from our hearts because, because we do believe and we want to believe that even when we don't see the evidence of God doing something behind the scenes, He's doing it right? He's doing it. He's, he's active. He never stops. But listen, church, I just want to say to you tonight, how often is God moving? And because we're not locked in, we're not paying attention, we're disengaged, we're not consecrated. We don't have consecrated hearts. We miss what he, we, we miss what he is doing. It's lost on us. And so a month can go by and a year can go by and we think, well, you know, what is God doing? He's not doing much. And the reality is this, he is always, he is always doing something. The Bible says, um, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him, right? I mean, and, and simply like direct context there is this, we're talking about heaven, you have no idea how that eternal place is going to be, it's just beyond what you can imagine. But I think, I think even in this life, God has prepared great things for those who love him. And so consecrate your heart. Be attentive and sensitive to what it is that God is doing so that when he does do it, you don't miss it. And really, he's teaching his people here to walk by faith. You know, the instruction is going to be, um, it's not just the Levitical priesthood that's going to be crossing over the Jordan. You guys are going to be crossing over the Jordan as well. And we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the the difference between the crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing uh, of the Jordan River. But he was instructing his people to walk by faith because this was what he was calling them to in the promised land. The promised land, remember, is not a picture or a type or a metaphor of heaven The promised land, the land of Canaan, the promise, that geographical promise that God had given to Abraham is a type, a symbol, a metaphor. Um, Allegorically, it is pointing to the Christian life, the spirit-filled Christian life that is a function of faith. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. One commentator said this, and I appreciate it. He said, God didn't want the people's faith to be a passive feeling but an active force. I, I, I appreciated that because, you know, sometimes, sometimes we think, oh, yeah, I have faith, and what, what we really mean is this. We have this passive feeling within us, right? There's this passive feeling. It's, it's inert. It's not, it's not necessarily active. There's no evidence of it. Um, there's a feeling that we have within ourselves, and I'm not saying to you tonight that feelings are bad, but feelings aren't necessarily faith. You only really know if that feeling inside is in fact faith. How do you know? Let me ask you guys a question. How do you know? How can you distinguish whether or not that feeling is really a feeling of faith or whether that feeling is just a feeling? You act, right? You act. I mean, there's evidence. There's fruit. There's fruit. James was really clear about that. Faith is an active force. Verse seven, y'all with me still? Okay, verse seven. uh, The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still, check this out, what's that word? In. In. You shall stand still in the Jordan. So again, you know, God is so good to Joshua who probably, well, we know for sure he was a little anxious, a little stressed out, right? He was feeling it. He was trembling at the responsibility that had been given to him. And so as God has done many times, he just reassures his his leader, you know, aren't you thankful that God reassures you? Aren't you grateful tonight that God's tender? Aren't you grateful in those moments where you're weak and, and, and frail, and maybe you're like, maybe you're a man's man tonight, and you're like, I'm never weak and fail, frail, pastor. And I say, well, no, you're not, but you're a liar. <laughs> that's for sure. Because there's no one who doesn't experience fear at some point in their life, right? There's, there's no one who is absolutely exempt from anxiety. Everybody is touched by the feelings of anxiety. And, and certainly we know that the greatest leaders in Scripture, men and women, struggled with that. And God is always so good to come alongside and minister to your deepest need. He is a good, good Father. And He reassures, right? I mean, Joshua's got a big responsibility. He's taking over from Moses. There were mighty works that were done through Moses. The evidence of the calling of God on Moses's life was undeniable, not because Moses was a self-promoter, but because God did things through him. And God says, hey, listen, I'm going to do the same thing through you. Not the same thing specifically, but I'm going to demonstrate my power, and then everyone is going to know, Joshua, that I am with you. And so he gets this encouraging word from the Lord. And then not only does he get this encouraging word from God, he gets, he gets direction, right? Okay, hey, so you, you've got some of it. The Ark of the Covenant is going to go before the people, and, and the people are going to stand up and follow the Ark of the Covenant, the, the presence of God. And when... The priests, the Levitical priests, they get to the Jordan River. They are to stand in the river. I just, we're going to hit the significance of the word in in just a minute. But I want you to note here that the direction and guidance of God was progressive in Joshua's life. God did not say, I mean, at least we don't see God saying to Joshua, and you know, this is well-traveled here in our teaching and preaching, and so I say it all the time, but I have to say it because you know how we are. We would love to get all the details from God, like just give me the whole download and show me the way that it is, and, and, and you know, that's all I need, God. I just need the whole picture. You know how we can be so demanding with, with the Lord and you know more often than not in fact almost 99% of the time what does god do well he gives you a little bit at a time right he gives you a little bit at a time you know maybe your work opportunity comes to a close and you weren't expecting it and you were a good employee you were faithful to the lord and you're like man god what's next but with the losing of the job he doesn't come along and say oh hey and by the way this is what i have lined up for you everything's going to be okay and i'm going to do this miracle and that miracle and you're going to get a phone call and And someone's gonna email you and text message you and there's gonna be this awesome network. And by the way, let me tell you what your next job is because it'll be so much better than the job you have right now. Don't you wish God would do that? I mean, it would make life so much easier. But God isn't calling you to have an easy life. He's calling you to be a person of faith. He's calling you to be a person of faith. You say, well, how does God build my faith? He builds your faith by giving you one step at a time. He, he builds your faith by not, giving you, by not giving you all of the information. He builds your faith by making, here it is, right? He builds your faith by making you wait. He builds your faith, you'll hate me for this one. He builds your faith by teaching you, oh, you all are good, oh my gosh, by teaching you patience. That's how he builds your faith. Like the, the real deal here for the children of Israel was that uh, like they, they, were, they were at the gym. They were at the gym. They were at 24-hour fitness. And, and you know what God was saying to them? One more rep. You're not done. One more rep. No, get back on that tread cy- tre- treadmill, tread cycle. <laughs> That'll tell you last time I was at the gym, a long time ago. Get back on that treadmill or that life cycle or whatever you want to call it because I'm not done yet. And what God was doing was he was building their faith muscle, and it's not easy, and it doesn't feel good, and we wish that it would go differently sometimes, but you know, more often than not, that is our flesh speaking, not the spirit. And so God gives him instruction. Well, Joshua turns around, check this out, I want you to notice what Joshua doesn't say here. Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. So he's a good leader. Remember, a good leader isn't just speaking the words of God. He is listening for God to speak to him first so that he can then speak the words of God. He shares that with the people. Check this out, verse 10. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail... You should circle that. And he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of, of, don't miss this, of all the earth. Are you paying attention here? Just listen really carefully because nothing is a mistake in the word of God. Listen very carefully to how Joshua is describing God. The covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into Jordan. Joshua, check this out. Joshua makes this about the people, not about himself. Right? God says to Joshua, hey, listen, listen, dude, I'm with you. All right, I'm with you, and I'm going to work a work. And when I work the work, the people are going to know that as I was with Moses, I, I will also or I am also with you. Joshua doesn't say that to the people. Joshua doesn't direct the people to himself. Joshua directs the people to the Lord. Like he leaves that whole piece out because a godly leader doesn't have to draw attention to what God is doing through his or her life. The works of God speak for themselves. Joshua didn't, in other words, listen, Joshua didn't have to toot his horn. Joshua didn't have to say to the people, hey, check out what God said to me, right? God told me this, and God affirmed this to me. He leaves all of that out because he knows that the the real evidence of the power of God through his life really says it all. Not only that. But Joshua was more concerned about the people and their needs than he was his own. He was a humble man. He was less concerned about himself being built up before God and the people, and he was more concerned about them setting their eyes on God and them being built up as well. And he encourages them. Hey, listen, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God has spoken. And you're going to know that the living God is among you. And without fail, he is going to drive out of this land. And then he lists the seven nations here. And then he says, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. I just love the way that he describes God, right? He is, number one, the living God. He is the living God. He's not a God of stone. He's not a God of silver. He's not a God made out of gold. He's not a God that's been carved by wood, by some woodmaker. No, he is the living God. And not only is he the living God, he is Lord over all the earth. He's Lord over all the earth. There's not a single thing that he doesn't rule and reign over. You say, well, what's the big deal with this? Remember that Joshua. And, and the Israelites are, are dwelling in a polytheistic world. The, the idea of monotheism hasn't crossed anybody's mind except Adam and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, and you know, just a, a very slim segment of the world's population believed in a monotheistic God. And this is, this is what. This is what joshua says hey we're going into a land that is filled with the the idea of all of these deities these local deities there was a god of the water there was a god for the sun there was a god for the sky there was a god of the trees a god of the animals and he's like hey listen our god's not a local deity our our god isn't just one god among many gods our god doesn't just rule over a a part of the creation he is the God, he's the only God, and he rules over everything. He is superior. And that's when the people of God got really excited and gave him praise at Awaken Las Vegas on a Thursday night because they believe it too, right? They believe it too. I mean, he was so convinced in his mind, there's just absolutely no doubt that the seven nations will be conquered. He's like, he's like, God will take care of the yites. He'll take care of the ites, all the ites, right? Because they're all ites Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites. There's not an ite that God's not going to deal with. I just want to say to you tonight that God not only deals with the ites, but He deals with the isms. He can handle the isms in your life. He can handle the alcoholism, He can handle the racism, He can handle the egoism. He can handle the atheism. He can handle the agnosticism. There's not a single thing that God is not over. And he is powerful and mighty to handle the giants that happen to be in your land. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guys know it because you're students of the scripture that, that this could have been. This could have been a 12-day journey into the promised land for the children of Israel when they left Egypt. That's how long it took to get from Egypt on their route up to the promised land. But it didn't take 12 days. It took 40 years. And it took 40 years because of disbelief. Think about all the time that was wasted by the Israelites because of disbelief. 40 years. They could have inherited the land. They could have been in the land that was flowing with milk and honey, with grapes as big as pomegranates. But they were afraid of the giants that were in the land. Ten brought back a a report of unbelief, while two were willing to walk by faith, Caleb and Joshua. And so, listen, it's incumbent upon us just, just to pause for a minute, and while we rejoice, that the children of Israel are entering the promised land, we're also reminded, let's not waste time because of unbelief. Let's not be in a place where we spin our wheels, where we run circles in the desert, kicking up dust and eating sand because we've chosen not to believe in the power of God and what he's able to do in our lives. Listen, God wants you to inherit the promised land, that spirit-filled life today, right now, not down the road. And if you are willing to walk by faith, he is willing to do that for you. Well, the Bible says in verse 12, now, therefore, Joshua says, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So remember, um, at this point, of course, there's gonna be two bodies of water where God does a spectacular miracle. Uh, And as I mentioned, you know, the, the children of Israel, when they were leaving the land of Egypt, and of course, Egypt represented the world, it represented a life of sin, Um, emblematically of course that points to the goodness of God to deliver us from the world from a life of sin and from being under uh, the cruel bondage of the devil but of course they were just learning this now some 40 years later with this new generation as I said God was developing their faith it was another body of water It wasn't the same body of water but this obstacle just like the red sea became the evidence of the presence of god with his people can i just say to you tonight that the obstacles that you're facing in your life are opportunities for god to show to prove to give the evidence that he is in fact with you i don't know what obstacle you're dealing with maybe it's a money obstacle maybe it's a relationship obstacle. Maybe it's a life-besetting sin issue that you're struggling with. Maybe you need some guidance and direction. Maybe there's confusion in your life. You know you and I can get all caught up being obsessed with the obstacle when we should be all caught up being obsessed with the Lord who is able to take the mountain before us and as we shout, grace, grace, cast it into the deepest sea. And so... What we see here, as we consider the story of the Israelites, is the sea was parted to release them from slavery, and the river was going to be stopped to allow them to enter the promised land. Moses divided the Red Sea with the rod. Joshua would, through the power of God, cause the Jordan River to stop up because of God's presence. It was the Ark of the Covenant. Remember... Uh, This represented, obviously, the covenant of God with his people, the presence of God, like I said, and he was teaching his people to walk in covenant, to live in his presence. When he parted the Red Sea, the Israelites crossed over on dry land. When he directed the Levitical priesthood, they had to step into the Jordan River and get their feet wet. Before there was any evidence of the outpouring of the power of God, they had to actually step into the water. It was evident beyond a shadow of a doubt for the Israelites some 40 years earlier that God was working the miracle as the the sea was parted before their very eyes. However, in this case, the water would be heaped up some 19 miles up the river, And so, and we'll read this in just a minute, it wasn't as if, as the Levitical priesthood stepped into the Jordan River, it wasn't as if the water heaped up right before their eyes. The miracle was happening in a way where it wasn't evident, where they couldn't see it, right? Where they had to trust that what God said he was going to do, he was actually going to do it. Even as they put themselves at risk, Even as the most prized possession of the Israelites was there in the midst of the river and probably maybe at least a little bit of fear that that it might get swept away. Or as they're crossing the Jordan River, that the waters would rise again and sweep the people away because this particular point in time that they crossed was the flood season. And so it was known during this time that some parts of the Jordan River would be a mile across. And, and the water would have been deep. Now, if you go to Israel with me today, it's really not the Jordan River, it's the Jordan Creek. And, and there are all sorts, you know, I mean, it's a little bit disappointing because we're driving out of Jerusalem and we're headed, headed into the Judean Desert. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to see the Jordan River. You know, it's just going to be huge and massive and flowing. And it's like, we drive up to it and, and you're thinking, well, that's not it. Pastor, where, where's the river? That's, that's a creek. That's that's no river, and that's not flowing, Uh, and today, the Jordan River is just so different. There are a ton of reasons why that's the case, but back then, this would have been a, a mighty, mighty rushing river, and so the miracle was happening even when they were unable to see it. I said this earlier tonight. I just want to say it again. Be sure that as a child of God, as someone who loves the Lord, God is always working even when you can't see it. He's called you to take a step of faith and oftentimes we're like, man, we want the manifestation. We want the physical evidence. God, we want to see with our own eyes. We want it to be tactile. We want to touch it. We, we, and you know, sometimes we'll, we'll like wrap that in, in religious terminology. We, we just say, well, God, I just want to praise you. God, I just want to praise you. I want to, I want to have a reason to, to lift up your name. And God's like, well, I am giving you a reason to lift up my name. I, I gave you a promise. Isn't that enough? Isn't it enough that I told you it would happen? You know, real faith gives God praise before the evidence is seen with your eyes. Like that That's where we need to learn to live our lives. And so check this out. Let's wrap the story up. Verse 14 says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, and here we go, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. God did not pick the time where there was the least water. He picked the time where there was the most water. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. So to walk by faith, the priests had to get their feet wet. And I just do want to say tonight, if you want to experience God, it means you got to get your feet wet. Like, you got to dip your feet in. you got to be willing to take a step, right? You've got to be willing to respond to the nudging of God's spirit when he's guiding you and directing you and nudging you to do something specifically. Listen, we would like to walk by faith on our recliner in our home with our remote and a bag of Doritos and a Coke Zero. You know, I mean, that's the comfortable place to walk by faith, but that's not faith. Faith is when the Spirit of God speaks to your heart and you say, you know what, God, I just want to acknowledge that, that in and of myself, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the strength, I don't have the empowering, but with you, all things are possible. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip my foot in. I'm going to dip my foot into the men's ministry. I'm going to dip my foot into the women's ministry. I'm going to take a step and get my feet wet and, and help in production I'm gonna go down to L V Reach and and God, you know I it's a it's a it's a different profile. It's not necessarily where I'm from. I'm from, you know, a different neck of the woods. But because you've spoken to my heart, I'm gonna dip my feet in and walk by faith and see what you're gonna do. And God, I'm gonna trust that even though I may not see the evidence all before me of the power of your moving, I'm gonna believe that no matter what, you are always working. Let me tell you something. This generation needed it. God did not want this generation to go into the land talking about how he moved in the generation before. He didn't want this generation to say, well, you know, we heard we heard of what God did. We heard about God parting the Red Sea. No, God wanted this generation to step into the promised land being able to say, you know, God did it and we saw it. God was faithful. We have experienced the evidence of the outworking of the power of God in our own generation, and we carry our own story. Listen, I know you want that, and I want that. I thank God for what he's done in the past, and we could talk right now about all of the great movements of God's spirit through his people over the course of time. I don't want to talk about what God did back then. I want to talk about what God is doing today. I want to talk about what God is doing with us. And what I love here, verse 17, check this out. Final point. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground. Some say two million, some say three million until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The final thing I want to say to you tonight is, just check this out, all right? Now, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly. They stood firmly. You know, they waited. They, they anchored themselves at the spot, and they didn't leave until the work was done. Until the whole nation had passed by. I, I don't know how long that took, but three million people, two million people, that's a long time. That's a long time for all the tribes to line up and to, to pass over from one side of the Jordan River to the other side. But because they were faithful servants of God, they stayed put, they stayed put, they locked in. They saw the work all the way through. And, and I will just tell you today in the culture that we live in, people are so quick, so quick to bail. So, so quick to cut bait and run. So quick, right? Spiritual snowflakes that we can be so often. A little bit of heat, a little bit of adversity, a little bit of discomfort. Things aren't the way that we wanted to. And so instead of staying locked in and being committed to be faithful until the work is done. That, I'll tell you right now, that's what God's looking for. God is not looking for how superior you are and smart you are and intellectual you are and how extraordinary you are as a communicator and how you can network and how gifted you are at this, that, or the other thing. God's looking for faithfulness, man. God's looking for faithfulness. God would far rather have a servant who has none of the worldly gifts to offer, who is willing just to stay put, locked in, stick it through until the work is done he would rather have that than the most gifted person from the perspective of the world who comes to shine for a moment until things get hard and then they leave. The Bible says there's one thing that's required of a steward of God and that is faithfulness. God will always honor your faithfulness. Man, has God spoken to you? Has God directed you in something? It's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. You're, you're going to want to pull anchor and sail on. But if God has spoken to you, you need to be obedient and stay put until he sees it through. You do not want to leave before the fruit comes. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just settle these things in our hearts tonight. And, and God, maybe there are some among us who just need that encouragement, God, to to not run, because our tendency sometimes is just to run. And we carry all of that. We carry all of that with us to the next thing, and then when it gets hard there, we run again. And we just, we don't want to be runners, God, we want to be faithful. We want to grow, God, and you grow us in the valleys, you grow us in the difficulties. That's, that's where you till the soil of our hearts. And Father, I pray tonight that you would encourage the weary among us and that, God, we would walk by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.